and welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part two of the Gen X Mixtape Rock and Roll Mixtape, where Alan and I will be curating side B of a mixtape of self-aware songs about the most popular music genre of the 20th century. Welcome back, Alan. Welcome back. And hopefully we've dusted off those cobwebs and, and all of the tongue-tiedness and all of the... Uh, all the missteps last week, I think uh, we're not quite as rusty now. We may finally get into our groove. Well, not that last week was a bad episode. Well, I did the intro in one take. That's, that's yeah, saying something that's right there. That's a major improvement, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, now, it is great to be back. Week number two of season two and side B of our celebration of rock and roll. So, uh, any anything preface or you want to just jump into this no i, I think uh again i could i'm still thinking about our is rock dead come but we, we can't get into no, that now that that is a solid separate just music commentary episode for another day in time i, I don't know that would, well because i'm thinking of like artists like lana del rey and taylor swift i mean they're they're very much in that that that, that, that similar tradition, right? True. They're obviously more more pop. Yeah, um, but then you have the Strokes and you have the Killers and you have the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and I mean you have artists that. But are they are they charting today? That I guess that's my point. Well, obviously there are many rock artists, a lot of independent bands still around, bands that have been around forever continue to make music. But if you look at Billboard's top one hundred, we should do this at some point. How many of that of those hot one hundred songs are will we consider rock very few yeah but it has its own chart now i mean you have modern rock i mean you know well they've all i mean the billboards always had its charts they, they have all contemporary yeah, country but the hot 100 has always been kind of the you know finger on the pulse of what is popular today with america well you know you bring up a good point but you know you and i have talked about doing an episode later this season about songs and artists since 2000 that we love that have not charted. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you know, right. it, it's, a lot of the independent stuff. Right, which which will be not entirely rock influenced, but but I think, you know, it'll that's the time and place for this particular conversation, right. I think. So Yeah, no, that's good. Um Right. Which, by the way, I'm looking forward to that episode. Yeah, it'll so, be good. It'll be it'll a be lot good. of fun. Uh, normally, we obviously talk about a lot of older music, and that's kind of the whole point of the podcast, but we thought we would take one episode and go the, the opposite direction. It's still older music, but music from the last two decades as opposed to four decades, five decades, six decades prior. Yeah. So. All right. Do I get to go first? No, yeah, side B. Oh, it right. is oh, I'm all looking you. forward to this one. I love this song. And again, kind of like when I mentioned uh, last week where Bob Seger's minor hit, Shame on the Moon, was, was my, one of my favorites. This minor hit by this particular artist is one of my favorites. And it's not one you'd think of when you think of Eric Clapton. We have a match. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. Back to the matches. Uh, I, have a rock and, I have a rock and roll heart, right? And we're, yes, and we're yes. back to the early 80s again. Surprise, surprise. Um, 1983 off of Money and Cigarettes. I've got a rock and roll heart. And like I said, not uh, not as well known as, as, his, as some of his classic songs, but it did manage to crack uh, Billboard's top 20 back in 83. And it saw a, a small revival in 2010 when it was featured in a T-Mobile commercial. Yes. Yep. Clapton himself was in the commercial. Yes, he was. Yep. He was. Uh, I just think it's brilliant in its simplicity as an expression of uh, Clapton's love for rock and roll music. Uh, lyrics go, I've, I've got a feeling we could be serious, girl. And by the way, I love the just the melody of the verse itself before we even get to the pre-chorus oh, yeah. and the chorus is great. Right at this moment, I could promise you the world, but before we go crazy, before we explode, there's something about me, baby, 
you got to know. And so he sets the table, the fact that not only does he love rock and roll, but but the culture of rock and roll and the 57 Chevys and everything that goes along with it, electric guitars and so forth. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's just, like I say, a nice little pre-chorus then. It goes into the melody and plenty of room for Clapton to play around with a few little guitar licks and riffs throughout the song. I've got a feeling we could be serious, I don't know why I really did not think you would have that one. I Of all the songs that I thought would be matches, I've Got a Rock and Roll Heart was not one of them. So. You know what's funny? It's one of those songs when, when, when not Spotify, let's go back a little bit, Napster, when Napster was was new and a thing, before we all had consciences about stealing music and everything, um, you know, it took like an hour to download a, a song. But I remember at the time wanting to make mix CDs of songs from the past that for whatever reason I just had never purchased on CD or never had as a single as a kit and I came across a couple that were just like oh my gosh I can't I can't believe how much I I love or loved this song and this is one of them this is one of them that I downloaded well you know the album itself Money and Cigarettes uh, it is just criminally underrated it really is um and and the song I mean like you said it's a celebration of the music that Clapton loves we all love um the song is actually a natural uh, extension of the drug-fueled reggae influence shuffles that he churned out in the 70s. That songs like uh, Lay Down Sally, for instance. Um, except that this time, Clapton was sober. He had just emerged from a second stint in rehab, this time for alcoholism. And he chose the album title, Money and Cigarettes, because he felt, quote, that that was all he saw himself having left, was Money and Cigarettes. Um, But yeah, much like 1974's 461 Ocean Boulevard, uh, it marked a confident return from the drug-aggravated funk that followed Layla, uh, that, you know, 461 Ocean Boulevard. Here, uh, his first album for Warner Brothers was an unexpected show of renewed strength after a debilitating illness and too many sleepy records. So stylistically, you know, Money and Cigarettes was no great leap forward. He still mixed rote blues covers and and original shuffles cut from J.J. Kale's After Midnight in Cocaine Mode. Uh, with a shy, almost embarrassed understatement that could be mistaken for superstar sloth. But the electricity quietly racing through his crusty baritone here, it just exhibits a more assertive, more vocally and instrumentally articulate Clapton. We, we sometimes talk about dad rock. Clapton is probably the very definition of, of dad rock. Well, especially you know, if you get into the doll contemporary stuff right, right, exactly. in the 90s. Because once, well, and once he, he began pairing with Phil Collins and you started to see... You know, it's in the way that you use it in Forever Man. And then you have, you know, um, pretending. I mean, he really did start to uh, evolve into that that idea. But sometimes that's not a bad thing. Right. You know, I mean, Clapton, he, he really, he's not, he's always been true to his, his particular passions. And, you know, he's just, some people would still argue that he is one of the greatest 
you know, guitarists of all time, even if he has slowed down. I mean, hell, in the 60s, you know, scrawled on bridges and billboards, you know, everywhere through, especially through England, you know, it said Clapton is God. Well, he had like 17,000 side solo projects and yeah. side oh, projects. Yeah, and. without question. Um, but yeah, prior to these sessions, Clapton had actually split with all but two members of his previous working group. Uh, he kept Albert Lee and Chris Stanton, but he added Ry Cooter, he added bassist Donald Duck Dunn of Booker T and the MGs, he added drummer Roger Hawkins of the Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section, and just egged on by a band of his peers, I, Ry Cooter gives him no more slack on guitar than Dwayne Allman did in Derek and the Dominoes. I, you know, he, Clapton's just charged on this album by the invigorating crack of Tom Dowd's production. And, and Clapton, again, he played s- guitar solos that rang with authority and, and occasionally the thrill of discovery. It, it really is this entire album, folks, if you're unfamiliar with Money and Cigarettes, it's simple, unaffected blues power at work here. And it, it's surprising and refreshing. It, it may just catch you napping. Yeah, so. this, one, this one's more of a just a simple pop song. It is. And actually, this one was professionally penned. This yeah. is one that Clapton did not write himself, and it was the, the big hit. Um, well, minor hit, really. It only hit yeah, number 18. Right. But, you know, uh, I've Got a Rock and Roll Heart was the hit from the album. But although the album didn't go gold, it did mark the beginning of a second commercial win that really helped Clapton sell sure. through the 80s. And from this point forward, a Clapton record could be expected to always feature crisp, clean pop and blues with at least one major hit on it. And in a sense, the 80s smoothed out the rough edges of 70s Clapton, which made for a better, if more predictable product. So, If I yeah. remember the album cover correctly, maybe I'm wrong, um, isn't there like an ironing board? Yeah, there's an ironing board. And his Stratocaster is like melting like a Salvador Dali painting yes. off of the, yeah. off of the uh, ironing yeah. board. And he's standing in the forefront just taking a puff on his cigarette so yeah and yeah, no, I as someone who's seen Clapton live too I've, I've seen him four times and he just he never fails to disappoint I mean he is just he's still his prowess on the instrument is just phenomenal and we got to see him live at I believe it was was it uh, at the time Gundarina and, or was it the Coliseum I think it was the Coliseum, Coliseum. I think it was Richfield yeah. we had pretty good seats for that we, one if we I had recall. excellent seats yeah, yeah. and he uh, it was right off the heels of Tears in Heaven yeah he, um, you know, he had just lost his son. I remember he broke down on stage during the performance of it. Yeah. Um, now, he is, he is fantastic. I'm huge, huge Clapton fan, especially when he gets into the bluesy stuff. And, yeah, I this was actually my very first song to come back. You, that's, <laughs> this is the, I, if you count last week, this is the fourth time that you've just stolen my next song. So, <laughs> yeah. I just didn't think you'd have this one. I'm, I won't have to use any of my yeah. alternates. So, well, I'm trying to give you the opportunity here. <laughs> so, all right. Well, maybe my next song will open a door for you. All right. This was actually on our alternates playlist uh, last season. I'm still, we said that we could repeat songs yeah, in season two. we can. I am, though, going to try and go as long as I can sure. without making any repeats. This one I thought was fair game. Like, oh, but um, just, like Rock, Rock Lobster, which I could have included this week, yeah, but I chose not exactly. to. Exactly. <laughs> this one I thought was fair game because it didn't actually make one of our playlists. It was it was relegated to uh, an alternate list last season because we had two songs by oh, the same artist. Okay. Uh, it was actually, I believe, the 4th of July Um I think it was the 4th of July playlist. All right. Um, and this one got moved to the alternates because we went instead with Pink Houses. Oh, yeah. So okay. gotcha. I am yeah. going to then, here's my second song Good that song. I brought. Good uh, choice. But the first that I'm going to name, uh, Mellencamp actually being the, you know, the, the teacher that he is, he teaches us how to spell the word. It is R-O-C-K in the USA. Uh, hit number two from the Scarecrow album, 1985. Um, 
This was his eighth album, and it peaked at number two in the U.S. with three top ten hit singles, this being the biggest. Um, the overall theme of the album is the decay of societal foundations in rural America, but this song is a departure from that theme. And far from satirical, Mellencamp just intends to portray a mournful USA that has been slowly eaten from the inside by industries that substitute greed for the American dream. But R.O.C.K. in the USA was so against the grain of this album's emotional profile that Mellencamp almost excluded it from the album, almost left it off. Uh, it's subtitled A Salute to 60s Rock, and it tells the story of how rock and roll emerged in America, how those now infamous musicians that were not afraid to take personal risks for the sake of their music became a strong influence on the next generation, specifically Mellencamp, who sings, They filled our head full of dreams, turned the world upside down. And the lyrics to the song, Mellencamp name drops several artists, particularly Frankie Lyman, Bobby Fuller, Mitch Ryder, Jackie Wilson, Shangri Laws, Young Rascals, Martha Reeves, and let's not forget James Brown. So, um, you know, these are references to the artists and bands that shaped the sound and influenced Mellencamp's early music. And in this way, Mellencamp was paying homage, but he was also paying his dues. Come from the cities and they come from the smaller towns. Beat up cars with guitars and drummers go. It's just, this is one that I will never grow tired of. I've never grown tired of Mellencamp. He's another one um, who, you know, he's never been high on my list. He's not one of my favorite artists, but he's like a Tom Petty. I mean, I when he comes on, I turn up the volume and I've, I've never just... It's true. He doesn't have the same type of fan base that a Springsteen or a Joel has. Right. But everybody likes him. Yeah. You I know, mean, everyone likes Petty. Everyone likes... John Cougar Mellencamp, but yeah. they just don't have those same rabid fan base. Exactly, yeah. It, it just really, you know, I, I've never grown tired of them, and, and I doubt I ever will. But the instrumental break in this song, it's really clever. Mellencamp says that the riff was lifted from Neil Diamond's first hit, Cherry Cherry. Hmm. And when we first hear it, it's it's played on an ocarina, <laughs> which is a small wind instrument of ancient Eastern origins, thought to be 12,000 years old, no less. Um, then um, it breaks into um you know a flute um which is a nod to the song wild thing by the trogs mm-hmm. um and then in Mellencamp's uh song the the riff then is played on guitar and later on keyboards it keeps going through various musical forms popular in 60s rock so in concert Mellencamp often will bring a fan on stage to dance with him during this section um but yeah his interest in recreating the sounds of the heyday of rock and roll has spanned his entire career as late as 2009, he recorded songs for the 2010 album No Better Than This at Sun Studios. So, you know, the recording techniques used uh, on this song in particular, purposefully raw, and it's all in an attempt to reconnect with his roots, a reflection of Mellencamp's ideology of real music for real people. And I just could not leave this one off. And I mean, it's just, it's a killer tune. R.L.C.K. in the USA. And I don't want to brag, but but you and I were at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame show, the very first, the original uh, Rock Hall show. Yes, we were. Cleveland Municipal Stadium. And very early on in the show, it was still daylight at the time, he played this song. Yeah, he did. And it was, it was fantastic. You know, and it was, what I loved about that, it was the first time that I had seen Mellencamp and Springsteen 
on stage at the same time because the two are very unfairly. They're always compared and they've been juxtaposed, you know. But, you know, very different styles. And it was just, uh, what, what I loved about that concert, though, was that it was very much like the concerts of the 50s. Because people would just come on and jam with whomever they wanted to at various times. They would get renewed energy. And it, it was, what was it? It went like 13, 14 hours. Was it more? I thought it was, I was at least six, I know. Oh, no, it, it went, it went because it started afternoon. And I remember That's we true. were still yeah, yeah, there yeah, yeah. at like, Two, three in the morning. I just remember it started with Bruce Springsteen, the and E Street Band, and Chuck Berry. And Chuck Berry. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah. if this is how we're starting, yeah. this uh, is going to be great. I don't remember what song they played from Berry. Was it? I think it started with, with Johnny Be Good. Was it Johnny Be Good? Because yeah, I, I know so. it went into She's the One. I and then it went, yeah, after, after Johnny Be Good, it went yeah. into She's the One. Yeah. Oh, it was just an amazing concert. Everybody. I think Jerry Lee Lewis played with him on She's the One. Did he? Pretty sure. I, honestly, every, everybody was there. I mean, I can actually. What I love about that concert is that I can say I've seen right so oh, many Johnny artists Cash live. Was there. Lou Reed was there. Oh yeah, I, James Brown was there. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Every, everybody, yeah. I mean, you know, Parliament followed by Heart followed by Iggy Pop. I Iggy, believe yeah, it was, Iggy it was Pop everybody. Was there, was there. No, Young, I mean, everybody was at this concert. So, yeah, it actually kind of really built my resume for who I can say I've seen. Mostly American live. artists, though. Well, there yeah, weren't a lot yeah. of British artists. No, there were not. There were not. Hart and was there. Yeah, there were a lot of artists, too, that I remember were expected to come that didn't. I, I remember that, but it didn't matter because it was just the star-studded, you know, I, I really think it went, it, it definitely went 12 hours at the very yeah. least. And some new just, bands at the time, at the time, new bands, like Jim Blossoms, I believe, played. Yeah, they were there. And Natalie Merchant was there. Yeah, so. no, it was just, Phenomenal. But the fact that I got to see you know Lou Reed and I got to see um, Johnny Cash, you know, yeah. before their passing, I mean, just oh, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to my pick here. I don't think you'll have this one. Um, another one of my favorites. So you know, you're, you're going to see these bands uh, repeated quite a bit from the Ramones. And do you remember Rock and Roll Radio? Did not include the Ramones. And this one fits for a number of reasons. This is off their 19 album, uh, 1980 album, End of the Century, um, from the infamous recording sessions with Phil Spector. Of course, Phil Spector, the famous wall of sound producer of early rock and roll. And, you know, the Ramones kind of taking, kind of like the Stray Cats took rockabilly and punk. Uh, and some would say that the Ramones really kind of were the, the, the godfathers of punk in the way that they were one of the first to kind of take, um, you know, this old-time rock and roll and, and give it an attitude, give it a give it a vibe. Just, I mean, we're talking really short, two, three-minute songs. Three minutes was a long song for the Ramones. It know? really was. 20-minute yeah. sets that were really, really tight, and it was all about the music. But, uh, yeah, this is this is their ode to early rock and roll. Um, although the Ramones' signature sound had always been based on the 50s and 60s that they grew up listening to, um, this is their first track to add additional instruments like piano and horns. Yep. So that was very much the Phil Spector influence. built their band as a response to what was in their mind the overindulgent psychedelic and progressive music of the late 60s and early 70s 
Um, lyrically, this song kind of supports that notion, perhaps better than any other of their, of their songs. Uh, lyrics like, we need change and we need it fast before rock's just part of the past, because lately it all sounds the same to me. And so this goes back to Billy Joel's. Yep. It's, it, it, it's still rock and roll to me. But um, I think Billy Joel's is a little more positive in the way that, hey, it's all good. And, and the Ramones were kind of like, this isn't good. It's going in a direction away from early rock and roll. It sounds the same in a, in a bad way, in yeah. a negative way. Um, in some ways, this song is critical of the late 70s, 50s nostalgia, which you think they would have liked, you know, with the Shanana and Grease and kind of that 70s return to the, to the, to the 50s and the 70s. Right. Um, but they they were kind of hoping not for a nostalgic return uh, a trend if you will of of the same music they wanted a new wave of music you know new wave but a new <laughs> they wanted a kind of a new uh, trend i should say uh of 50 style but new music if right. that makes sense no they wanted to be trailblazers and start a movement they is, they, is they wanted really... new music in that same you right. know early rock and roll style rather than just spinning the same old tunes and so having you know, Spectre produce that kind of fits with that message. Now, I'm so glad you included it. I, I left the Ramones off because I was confident. That, like you said, there are certain artists that we just kind of expect the other to have. Sometimes that does not end well because neither one of us includes the, the artist or the song. But I was fairly confident you'd have the Ramones in some some aspect here. So yep. I, I also can, no, I shouldn't say it. that's next week. I don't want to jump ahead. I have, I have one that I'm considering for next week. So we might have two, okay. two weeks of Ramones. Okay. But. Hey, we can have Ramones every week. I'm, you know, they are legendary for good reason. Um, well, my next song, we talked about it last week, actually. Um, I, I am going to give to you Stevie Ray Vaughan, backed by his band Double Trouble. This was from the In Step album from 1989. It did not chart uh, but it is called The House is Rockin'. Um, it's the first track of uh, In Step, and it was the final studio album, actually, with Double Trouble. Uh, Vaughn would record one more album in collaboration with his brother Jimmy before his tragic demise. Um, but Double Trouble, it was Stevie Ray Vaughan's backing band, much as Crazy Horse is to Neil Young. Um, and they comprised Tommy Shannon on bass, Chris Layton on drums, and Reese Wymans on keyboards. Uh, Vaughn wrote this song and a few others on the album with fellow Texas songwriter Doyle Bramhall. And, and Vaughn was in a band with Bramhall called The Nightcrawlers when they were just starting out. So the two began collaborating on songs when Stevie Ray launched his solo career. Uh, the album title, In Step, is in reference to Vaughn's recovery from substance abuse issues, uh, the 12-step program. And not only that, but his successful completion of rehab. But of course, it is also handy to refer to dancing steps, fitting, uh, very fitting, since you know this is a very danceable tune. The song title itself, though, this is where what we what we kind of hinted at last week. The song title itself is a play on a popular bumper sticker of the '70s, which said, "If this van's a rockin'," right? Which don't, that's where I messed yeah, it up last don't, week. Don't bother knocking, um, you know, because vans, of course, all the rage in the early '70s. Part of the allure was that they could be used and were as an impromptu place for a quickie. Many drivers uh, tricked out their vans with ridiculous carpeting and a bed as if it were a bachelor pad on wheels. Uh, so, the, yeah, the bumper sticker implies, of course, if the vehicle is parked and moving back and forth on its suspension, there's obviously some romantic activity going on inside. Uh, amongst the many cultural references, comedian George Carlin um, on the stand-up album, What Am I Doing in New Jersey, once expressed his disdain of vans with the words, 
Uh, you want to haul lumber around a truck if you want to get lay and go to a motel like an evangelist would, for God's sakes. Still one of, I mean, when, when you talk about rock and roll heaven, I mean, he is just one that he died too soon, which is true of so many, but he was just getting started. I think he would have been one of the most influential guitarists in history had he not died when he did. It might be unfair to say because his career was cut so short, but if you had to pick between Clapton and Stevie Ray. Uh, well, I would go Clapton, but I, you know, Clapton has hailed you know, Stevie Ray is one of the, the all-time greats just for his short-lived uh, resume. I I don't know. He may have surpassed Clapton. Well, Clapton I, had a, more of a pop sensibility. He did, So he yeah. would have been more popular. Yeah, Stevie Ray unless never... Unless Stevie Ray would have expanded. Which I don't know that he would have. I mean, he, he was not... He didn't chart heavily, never did. None of his albums were, were Billboard-friendly, necessarily. Pride and Joy may have charted. Um, but otherwise, I mean, he was he was a, a genuine blues guitarist right. and I don't know that um, that he was would ever have you know kind of sold out to, to pop radio in that respect so um, but we'll never know unfortunately so uh, but yeah I had to include this one so very good there we go my number two if we were going to have a what fifth match <laughs> this one might be it okay and you mentioned about the uh, uh, if the house is a rockin don't come a knocking, but come on in. That yeah. seems contradictory. Oh, just don't knock. Just don't come don't in. bother knocking. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, just come well, on in. Well, this song yeah. kind of begins with with a song about knocking. Okay. In fact, the drummer was playing little little Richard. Keep a knocking. We have a match, <laughs> <laughs> which led to a jam session and resulted in rock and roll by Led Zeppelin. Yes, sir. From 1972's famous classic album Zeppelin IV. Um, yeah. Uh, yep. Zozo is the fans Zozo, call it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Bonham just kind of, they were just kind of hanging out right, you know, I guess between takes or who knows what. But he just started playing that little Richard, uh, you know, uh, percussion section. And yep. uh, Jimmy Page joined in. And next thing you know, I think it was like eight or nine minutes later after jamming, they had a song. So kind of nice when it kind of comes together like that. Uh, another um, 70s song that's kind of nostalgic for early rock and roll. Like I mentioned, there was that time period where, um, you know, almost 20 years had passed and the people had grown up with that music were nostalgic for the past. Uh, the lyrics go, it's been a long time since I rock and rolled. It's been a long time since I did the stroll. Oh, let me get back. Let me get back. Let me get back, baby, where I come from. So again, pretty simplistic, but a lot of these songs are because, you know, there aren't a lot of layers here to these, these songs. It's uh, pretty straightforward well, yeah. celebration of rock and roll. It's just pure tribute.
the uh, the album, by the way, of course, um, if you've grown up, if you are a member of Gen X, you know that this was a canon in the record slash tape slash CD collection of every college student uh, for several decades. Uh, of course, it included the um, Zeppelin Staples uh, Black Dog and the Great Stairway to Heaven. Yep, which radio, which uh, radio, <laughs> which guitar uh, shops have yes. have banned, have all from, banned. Yes. from from anyone playing uh, when you know trying a new instrument for purchase. It's also the uh, first Zeppelin song ever to be featured in a commercial. Um, I'm not sure who owns the publishing rights, but uh, there was a 2002 Cadillac campaign that aired during the Super Bowl. I remember that where they yeah. used this song, which which kind of made me. It kind of made me raise an eyebrow. I, I never thought Zeppelin would be one well, to, which obviously you don't know that they control. The yeah, they, they probably so. do not own the publishing rights. But I, I just really Zeppelin is just not a band that you would ever think would you know sell out for commercial uh, success. So yeah, yeah, I really think someone has to control the the music beyond Plant and Page. It was Cadillac's attempt to try and uh, make their brand a little. Hipper, yeah. it was kind of seen as uh, as their parent. As, you know, in two thousand two, I suppose, seen as a um, you know, older generation vehicle. And so it is ironic they used an old song about old music to try to make their car seem newer. But yeah, know. but no, you're right. They they were at the Headley Grange Mansion um, that they had rented in Hampshire, England, um, to record the album. And see, what I found is that John Bonham, they were actually working on a song called Four Sticks. Yeah, and. Bonham got so frustrated with the session because he just, the drum part was near impossible. And tensions rose, and then in a peak of anger, he started playing uh, something completely different, you know, a riff that was based, like you said, on Little Richard's Keep a Knockin'. Um, and then, you know, they basically, Page joined in, blasted out on the guitar riff, and, and yeah, 30 minutes they, later, they had a song. Um, but Robert Plant, you know, he wrote the lyrics, and really... The song too was was a response to critics who had claimed that their previous album Zeppelin Three wasn't really rock and roll. Uh, Led Zeppelin Three had more of an acoustic folk sound, and Plant, uh, when writing the lyrics, wanted to prove that they could still rock out. So um, now it's it's just one for the ages, and yeah, it, it was my again very next song, yeah, <laughs> very next song. I really should have done these in a different order We're just to let record. you, yeah, because you, I, I, five in a row, I you had to pick and I didn't. I am depleting my, my alternates list. Well, here. I have some that you can pick from. Okay, I, I may have to. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, my next song, I've already skipped, I've got a rock and roll heart and now I have to skip rock and roll. I'm just gonna go to my alternates here. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I'm, what, what do I have? Two that I get to pick from? Yeah. So, okay. Well, let's get, uh, let, let's pay tribute. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, a song from 1955, Bill Haley and the Comets, called Rock Around the Clock. Might as well start from the beginning. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go there. I really didn't know if I would actually get to this one. Um, there's some, you know, there's a lot of dispute over what was the first rock song ever recorded. Um, some people say it's the doo-wop song G by the Crows. Some say it's Rocket 88. Uh, which um, 60 Minute Man is another one that, that, that a lot of critics argue. Um, but this song, Rock Around the Clock, is indisputably the first rock song to top the charts. And it's generally considered the beginning of the rock era. And it's it, not really it, a rock song, it's more of a swing it, song. Yeah, it really is swing. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, at least for chart purposes, Rock Around the Clock, uh, a lot of people point to this and say this 
along with Alan Freed's Moonbell Coronation Ball, this is what started it all. At the time, Billboard magazine compiled charts in three different categories. This is before the Hot 100. There were bestsellers in stores, there was most played by disc jockeys, and there was most played in jukeboxes. And many songs like Rock Around the Clock topped all three and were a consensus number one. Uh, Elvis had his first chart topper in 56 with Heartbreak Hotel in much the same way. Uh, And really, rock music made steady gains from there. But Rock Around the Clock first appeared on the charts on June 3rd, 53. uh, And it sold 75,000 copies. And it convinced Decca to pick up Haley's option. So then on March 25th, 1955, Rock Around the Clock was featured in the movie Blackboard Jungle very famously and it gave a surge uh, in popularity not only to the song but to rock and roll which prompted Decca to re-release the single and this time the song surged to the top of the charts entering the top 40 on May 14th 1955 my birthday how about that I wonder if that's the beginning of including rock songs and promoting them with with movies I may have been it very likely may have been it hit number one then on July 9th and it stayed there for eight weeks one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. What you glad right so? Join me home. We'll have some fun when the clock strikes one. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. We're gonna rock, rock, rock till broad daylight. We're gonna rock, gonna rock around the clock tonight. When the clock strikes two, three, and four. The term rock and roll, and I was going to talk about this later with a different song, but um, you know, it was it was a relatively new way of describing music when the song came out. A lot of early rock was based on the blues, and it was far too racy for most white listeners because rock and roll had long been used in blues music to uh, to denote sex. I mean, it was it was a it was a lyric that meant uh, sex, as, as used by the bluesmen. Um, many white singers made careers out of sanitizing R&B records for pop appeal. But Haley, you know, Haley added a country swing element to his covers that kept a lot of the edge and, and really kind of brought the, the, the three genres together. Uh, when Elvis came along, he did the same thing and he transformed R&B songs uh, like Hound Dog, which we talked about last season, uh, without sucking the life out of them, even if they were different songs when recorded. Um, Many listeners had never heard of rock and roll when this was released, so the record company had a hard time describing the song. The label on the single actually called it a novelty foxtrot, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, In 56, Bill Haley and the Comets starred as themselves in a low-budget movie called Rock Around the Clock, where they performed nine songs, and the film was far from scandalous, but it was targeted to teenagers, and it caused a stir among theater owners who feared bad behavior the juvenile delinquency that you know followed the music and possibly spurred on by these reports there were incidents of dancing in the aisles in the movie theater oh my God. and other breaches in etiquette that helped to fuel the perception among many adults that rock music would lead to mayhem in America's youth um, Haley was never able to duplicate the massive success of Rock Around the Clock but he is a key figure in the evolution of rock music and he helped transform the sound uh, out of country music very specifically so um didn't know if I was going to actually have the opportunity to include it, but since you are letting me take my pick from my alternates, let's let's 
give credit where credit is due. It's, so. it's funny that people, you know, people are still, nothing's changed, nothing's changed. I, I tuned into the Grammys for, for a short amount of time. It, it used to be like, I knew everybody, of course, we, we knew our music fairly well. And then about 10, 15 years ago, I started, I kind of heard of the artists and maybe heard of a few of the songs, but I didn't right. know a whole lot about them. It's it's a whole alien, it's like visiting an alien planet at this point. Oh, it is, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I know them only because I DJ right. and I have to play the requests, but you know, it, it is, it's just, we're old. <laughs> we've, we've grown old. But there was a particular criticism about this Grammys because mm. of the there's a WAP or WAP, WAP yeah, song WAP. Um, and, and people saying the same types of things that you mentioned about the, the kids you know in the 19 uh, late 50s dancing in the aisles so some things never change right. Pe- people are, are always going to f- blame you know music for the downfall of society uh, speaking of as a DJ um, you, this season right you'll be ramping up to do a lot of DJing gigs oh yeah and that's got a song that's going to have an expectation to be played how are you going to handle that well we have we, we have a clean, Give a sanitized we have, version yeah of we have a radio edit gotcha. of it um, which really there's no point in playing because it's you know you, you only hear every third word <laughs> of <laughs> right. the song um, but yeah no we, we have clean versions of everything and unless the couple I mean primarily I do weddings but um Birthday parties, grad parties, we, we do it all, but primarily weddings. Sometimes the couple wants to hear the song as recorded. I mean, it's not uncommon, especially later at night once the grandparents have left the uh, wedding. Yes, the um, grandparents who were, who were dancing in the aisles to rock around the clock. Exactly, yeah. Right, but right. but once, uh, once the older generation leaves, which is not long after the cake, you know, um, you have dinner, you have the cake, watch the first dance, and then grandma and grandpa go home. Usually, a lot of couples will kind of open it up to the expletives at that point. Some don't, but we, we do have clean versions of everything. So, cool. um, But yeah, WAP, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it pushes some boundaries, which, you know, it's kind of funny. You think back to Elvis on Ed Sullivan, right, being filmed only from the waist up, and the scandal that was created when he did his, you know, his particular gyrations on the Milton Berle show um, but you know I would love to know what the parents of the 1950s would think of twerking I would love to actually well what about the other direction what about 50 years from now is there is there stuff are people going to look back at WAP and say like oh my gosh I can't believe people thought that was scandalous. oh yeah because in 50 years from now they'll be naked having sex on stage <laughs> so <laughs> what What really oh, what uh, is left I mean when you when you think about it I don't yeah, know what I don't, yeah, I don't know I, 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 I'm not sure I want to know I mean unless it turns into circ de soleil and they're you know doing any number of obscene <laughs> things on trim on you know, Ooh, the, the, the uh i, I don't know unless <laughs> they have covid they won't be yeah well no but yeah. i i can't imagine there's much left to the imagination outside of you know getting jiggy with it yeah. uh, you know on maybe, maybe things itself. will turn back and so, we'll go through a really conservative period of time uh, we we may i mean the, the pendulum does swing but i I don't know, hip-hop and rap culture especially being what it is, and this is not a cut on, on those genres at all, but I don't see a conservative refrain. Right. I, I just, I think, I think we finally opened the floodgates and, and, you know, finally artists are allowed to express themselves and I I don't know that that's bad. I certainly, I, I we could talk about, you know, well, being impressionable for younger minds, but that's been, that's been the controversy since. Right. Rock around the clock, so I, I you know, it's, it's you might see it kind of rain back in because it's not as forbidden anymore. I remember in the '80s, of course, it, it seemed like every movie, every teen plus movie, had to have a topless shot. You know, oh, that yeah. was kind of the thing, yeah. the gratuitous. And then by the '90s, when it rolled around and it was no big deal, um, you really didn't see unless it was 
artfully done or, or specifically for the the story itself right you didn't see it gratuitous you really don't you still don't you still don't really see yeah, it's, a lot it's, of gratuitous it's gone away movie. And I think it's because it reached a point where, like you said, um, well, where else do you go from here? It, it, everything is pretty much permissible now. And then it's not as fun to be a scandalous then, so why bother unless yeah, it's important. That's true. So. But, you know, you bring up a good point, though. I, when I think just of the last five, ten years, they really don't put out raunchy teen comedies no. themselves Why anymore. would you when you have the internet? <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, there's a part of me, I feel bad for this generation. that They're not growing up with John Hughes. They're not growing up well, with... Well, I wouldn't say John Hughes. Well, no, John Hughes, Hughes, he's... Yeah, John Hughes is not a fair... Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like Porky's or... There were right. so many right. Revenge of the Nerds, you know... And a lot Which, of a lot of that is not aged well. No, no, no. Revenge of the Nerds but, particularly. But, you know, it, it, this generation just... They haven't had those... You know the, those racy teen comedies that kind of defined I, for Amer- Jan- American Pie was like the last. It, it really was, yeah. One, if and, I remember correctly, and, and they did it. American Pie did it exceptionally well. But but I, you know, Gen X was so defined right. by the teen comedies, and it, they're just they just aren't made anymore. So it's kind of unfortunate. But well, talk about the eighties. Going back to the eighties, this one goes back to nineteen eighty four. Uh huh. And I juggled a few alternates with this one. I kept this one in. I, I, I could have put several of my alternates in its place, but I just felt like uh, we should have this one in for some reason. Um, talk about, I mean, none of these songs really um, have much weight to them, right? Because we're just kind of talking about rock and roll music and having a good time. And this one is, is, is really light um, in that way, but it's I Want to Rock. <laughs> I am so glad you included it. My Twisted Sister. I, I, you know, I had it on my list for so so long and then I had to let it go and my kids were devastated because they said but you had to bring up Goofy Goober Rock just so it can make the alternate right, list and I'm right. like which I guess I just did but, but oh I'm so glad you have I Wanna Rock the so. follow up single to We're Not Gonna Take It the song like its predecessor was a it was famous as, as famous at least for its slapstick video yep. as it was for the song uh, the video for I Wanna Rock also featured Mark Metcalf who most uh, was most famous for his role as the ROTC yeah. leader and Meyer in National yes. Lampoon's Animal House, which I watched the other day, and I was afraid it wouldn't age as well. And there are parts, but it's not nearly as bad as, as no, Revenge no. of the Animal Nerds. House, with the exception of Belushi playing Boyer on the ladder. Yeah, that was there, there that really was the there really it, isn't. Right? Which I mean, that's call it what it is, but it, but it's no Animal House has not. I, for me, I don't think it's aged poorly at all. Right. Yeah, it's, it was it was better than I expected. Yeah, well, I mean the satire. Still, especially yes. when they go to you know they they go to the black bar to see Otis yes. Day. I mean, no, that's some of that is still as cutting today as it was at the time for different. Yep. Yep. I, well, I can't even say for different reasons for much for the, the same, same reason. reason. Um, now, Animal House still a classic. So. This time, uh, he played Metcalf plays the teacher in the same vein uh, as he played the uh, the father in the in the first video in the prior video, uh, and he repeats a line from We're Not Gonna Take It, uh, what are you gonna do with your life, which is kind of that, you know, yeah. echoes through. Um, and at the end, so t- we had a cast member from Animal House, at the end, uh, Stephen First, who played Flounder, Flounder. right, remember Flounder, uh, he appears and, and says his famous line, oh boy, is yeah. this great. Doesn't he also go and ask for 10,000 marbles, or is that a different I think it might be different, because he just appears at the end, I believe, okay. as, as the principal, and he sprays like a... Um, you know, oh, that's the, right. The, the soda water the soda in his water. face or yeah. whatever. Um, frontman D. Snyder, who appeared uh, most recently, by the way, in season three of Cobra Kai. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no spoiler, but uh, something miraculous happens at that concert. Uh, said he wrote the song as a hybrid of styles popularized by Iron Maiden and ACDC. So, you, you know, some, you know, and you have artists who, 
sometimes claim to be more artists and not as commercial when they're just as commercial as anybody else. Uh, D. Snyder just comes out and says it. You know, I mean, yes, he's an artist, but he wanted to make songs that people enjoyed. And he wanted to make money. And so he was very analytical in his approach. And so he'd listen to like Iron Maiden and ACDC and other metal bands and find out what, what works. Why, why is this popular? And then he would take different styles and string them together. And that's what happened here with what I want to rock. Of course, not, not as heavy as Iron Maiden. Oh, no. Uh, much I'm, more of a, of a pop sensibility, but right. uh, still on the edge of, of metal. Fun fact, this song was retooled in 2008 as I Want Barack in honor of the 44th president of the United States. Was it, I don't know that I've ever I believe it was a member that. of Twisted Sister that did that. It may have been the guitarist uh, that, uh, oh, that, is funny. that now, created that I, parody. I don't know that I've ever heard that. Um, but no, my, my, you just made my kids happy because now, oh, okay. now I can bring up SpongeBob and yes, yes, yes. it makes the alternate list. So Good, <laughs> but, good. Glad I could um, do that. No, I, I did. I had that on my list for so long and... I, that and uh, well, Huey Lewis, I had to drop. There are there are a lot of songs that are just expected that I just I couldn't fit them in. So I'm glad you had this one. Um, you may have Huey too. I don't know what you have coming up, but nonetheless, my next one actually will pair very well with Twisted Sister. And you've not named it. I probably I, I doubt you you probably have it. It is from the huge huge album Pyromania from 1983. Ah, it yes. is Def Leppard's Rock of Ages. I liked so. Def Leppard up through this album. I wasn't as much of a fan with Hysteria, but I really liked really, Pyromania. See, I liked Hysteria as well. I well, but let me yeah, yeah, yeah. let me go, talk go, about go. it here. Um, of course, the song opens very famously with Gunter Glieben Glockengloven, uh, which if you were like me, you spent you know <laughs> infinite amounts of time trying to figure out what that meant and it meant absolutely Do you know who nothing. it was? That It was Mutt Lang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Producer Mutt Lang got tired of counting the band in with one, two, three, four. So uh, just, you know, to be so silly. So it doesn't mean one, two, three, four in German? No, no. Okay. It, it means nothing. It was just uh, gibberish, nonsensical, uh, a nonsensical counting, really. Um, the band uh, had the music written for this song but was having trouble coming up with lyrics. So one night, there was a Bible study group in the studio, and the next day, lead singer Joe Elliott found a Bible open to the traditional a hymn, hymn. It would have been a hymnal, yeah. not a Bible, well, a hymnal. Yeah, yeah the yeah. hymnal, Rock of Ages. Right. Uh, yeah, Joe Elliott was not at the Bible study group. There had been a Bible study group that night in the studio, and they had left the hymnal open to Rock of Ages. So Elliott started singing the phrase, and then Lang thought it would be perfect for the chorus. 
and they used it as the title and wrote the rest of the lyrics from there. Uh, note the prominent cowbell in this song. <laughs> One of producer Mutt Lang's talent was incorporating the latest technology into a band's sound while retaining an organic uh, sound as well. The glossy production on this track is offset by the pastoral sound of the cowbell. It's an instrument that evokes classic rock songs like Mississippi Queen, We're an American Band, Honky Tonk Woman. Uh, but it is well, and of course, uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. Uh, yeah, more yeah, cowbell. Yeah, but that, but literally, you know, it is so prominent in this in this song. Um, if you listen to the verses, you will notice also that guitars are missing. There are no guitars in the verses of the song. The verses, okay. Yeah, yeah. which emphasizes the vocals, okay. but it presented a problem when it came time to film the music video hmm. because they didn't have any clue what to do with the guitarist in the video. So guitarist Phil Collin was asked to clap along on the verse and he was placed directly behind Joe Elliott. So the singer looked like he had clapping antlers coming out of his head. Uh, that, was, that was all they could come up with. Um, very interestingly, there is a musical, very famous musical now, many of you have probably seen it or the film uh, adaptation, the musical Rock of Ages. Mm -hmm. It opened on Broadway in 2009 and it featured popular music from the 80s. The play takes its name from this song, but ironically, no Def Leppard songs appear Correct. in the production. I remember being a young, well, let's see, what year was this, 82? Uh, what would have been 83. 83. 83. Okay, so 11-year-old. I remember uh, being bo bored in church at one point and pulling out the hymnal and just kind of flipping through and came across Rock of Ages and was very disappointed to see that it was not the Death yeah. song. <laughs> yeah, very different. Uh, no, I, I, you know, I've always had a soft spot for Def Leppard. I actually, I have tickets... And I don't know that Gil really wants to come with me, but um, I, I had uh, a coworker who was just looking to unload them. So I have tickets to this massive concert coming up in Cleveland featuring Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, and Joan Jett. So um, I don't think Gil would be upset if, if I asked What's someone What's the bill to again? Go. It's Def Leppard, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, and Joan Jett. Mm. They, they were just looking to unload the tickets, so I got them like for a steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I'm like... I, I like Leopard. I like Jet. I really don't care a whole hell of a lot about Motley Crue. This is I'm I'm probably turning off a lot of listeners when I say this, but I'm not a I'm not a Crue fan. I really don't care about Poison. Well, so. I made my my hatred for hair yeah. bands quite evident. Well, and there are hair bands I love, but I just Motley Crue. I just I've never had a whole lot of respect for them as people. And Poison, I just think is over overdone. But basically, is it a blossom? Uh, no, it's uh, at. Um, 
It's at First Energy. E- either way, yeah, okay, so you're going to see a bunch of people our age and older dressed as if they were, yeah. you know, the, the black leather pants. Which and, that in itself may be fun, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're a people watcher, but um, I don't know, just kind of throwing it out there to my okay, partner. Okay, all right. So okay. if you're at all interested, I mean, at least, you know, Joan Jett's Oop. there at the very least. We just got done talking about her last week. Yes, no, um, I would like to see Joan Jett. I, yeah, I mean, I, Gail will come with me, but I don't think she particularly cares a whole, I, I don't know. So just kind of th- thought I'd throw that out there. I landed tickets to I'll this. Be, I'll be seeing, hopefully, it, it said it's still on because it was canceled last summer. The Bare Naked Ladies, Gin Blossoms, Toad the Wet Sprocket Show. That's the same day. It, is it really? Yeah, it's the same day. Well, then I won't be able I to will take join you, you then. <laughs> I will take my wife. Yeah, it's the same day because I, I actually got a little bit excited by that one that I looked and saw it's the same yeah, day. As, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not going to miss uh, those guys. Yeah, I am so looking forward to this. I have so many tickets. Um, I have tickets to see Buffett in Cincinnati. I have tickets to see... Alanis Morissette, List Fair, and Garbage. That one was for Gail. Oh, wow. but That's cool. Seeing them. Um, I actually have tickets for Elton John, but that one was postponed until 2022. Mm. So we, we saw him um, last, well, right, right before the pandemic. We saw him. Did you? Yeah. I have, you know, Elton John, I've had tickets to see him three times. And all three times the show has been mm. canceled, except for this one has been postponed. Right. So if this one just never happens, I mean, if Sir Elton should, God forbid, pass away before 2022, that'll be three times I've had tickets to a concert that I got my money Ugh. back because the concert never happened. First one was the face-to-face tour. So never- that got canceled? It got canceled in mm. Cleveland. They didn't sell enough seats. Oh, man. That's which, bad. yeah, wow. It was, that was forever ago now, but mm. yeah, I've never seen Elton live. So but I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to this year. So Yeah. All right. My pick? Yes, sir. All right, so this one, uh, classic rock staple from Bad Company. Uh-huh. Rock and roll fantasy. Uh, I like, again, I'm not a big Bad Company fan, but I like several of the, the singles, you know, that are their classic rock canon. Um, and this is one of them. This is probably my favorite one, actually. Bad Company's best-selling sing- single. Uh, the song was written by Paul Rogers based on a guitar synthesizer riff that he developed. Uh, and this subject, again... Pretty simple. Roger's love of rock and roll, right? There's a common uh, theme here, obviously. Uh, avoiding political and everyday, quote, depressing stuff in his lyrics, Roger's preferred to focus on escapist themes, and like this case, rock and roll. Uh, the lyrics go, put on the spotlights, one and all, and let the feeling get down in your soul. The music's so loud, you can hear the sound, or reach in for the sky, and churn up the ground, churn in up the ground. So, not exactly... I mean, match, but close enough. <laughs> um, and again, not being a lyrics guy, I'm fine with the simplicity. Uh, the Bike Company's original run with Paul Rogers ran from 1973 to 1982 uh, with six solid albums and a handful of hit singles that have, uh, like I said, entered the classic canon of classic rock radio. Here come the jesters, one, two, three.
that was another one that I I had on my list and let it go. So I always kind of confused, not confused it as a kid, but like that and um, come together for some reason. Really? Yeah. I don't know if there. I'll have to go back and see if there's a lyrical similarity in there or maybe a stylistic similarity. But I remember hearing like from my dad's music. You know, I'd hear rock and roll fantasy, and I would hear come together and see. I yeah. I to me those don't sound a whole lot like at least not the way I'm yeah I don't know I'll have to go back and head. see why I know I had that um, association I mean, well I used to confuse Bad Company and Foreigner just oh yeah no that, I can the, see the that. two of them back and forth but I um, no, it's, that's interesting okay um, what song what number am I on because I'm so I only have one left you have one left I so have one left I have two left okay that answers my question um, I need to decide because I have one left on my 12 and then I have two alternates left which is kind of crazy it's a question of which alternate i want to use here i have chuck berry rock and roll music yeah which i'm going to feel like a horrible human being if i do not include chuck berry and then i also have though god gave rock and roll to you by argent Mm -hmm. which is just i want to use it (laughs) so i mean it's like the greatest like encore of all time of course most people think it's a kiss song kiss did cover it kiss covered it as did christian rock band petra Petra, yeah Yeah, yeah. um but oh i don't know um which one do i go with dave between those two between chuck berry and argent yeah oh boy that's a tough call like you said one's a rock anthem another one's just classic you know I gotta, go, I, I gotta go Chuck Berry. Yeah, that's right. I gotta go Chuck Berry. Yeah. I really wanted to use Argent. But I was never a big fan of Guy Gave Rock and Roll anyway, yeah. by the way. Well, no, for me, though, it, it was just, I mean, I was thinking about the playlist that we make, and I'm thinking, yeah, no, I mean, it fits a the perfect way, but Definitely. it'll make the alternate list. Yep. Um, all right, let, yeah, I gotta go Chuck Berry. I mean, I should have won Chuck Berry before Bill Haley, frankly. Uh, rock and Roll Music, there's not a lot to say about this song. Um, there, there was not much that I found to say about this song. It's from the 1957 album One Dozen Berries. Uh, the song peaked at number eight. Uh, it was written and recorded by rock and roll pioneer Chuck Berry, of course. Uh, rock and roll music is one of several songs in which Berry expresses his fealty to the genre that he helped to create. Uh, it's been widely covered and is recognized as one of the most popular and enduring compositions of Berry's career. Uh, the distinctive guitar riff Berry used on the track influenced countless guitarists in subsequent rock songs. Uh, the sessions for rock and roll music took place in 1957 at Chess Recording Studios in Chicago. Blues legend Willie Dixon actually plays bass on the track. I don't know how many people, maybe if you're a blues fan, if you knew that. Uh, Chess Records released the single in September of 57 in both 45 and 78 RPM formats. It was one of the very few rock and roll tunes released on 78. Hmm. There were oh. not not a whole lot of them. Uh, it reached number six on the Billboard R&B charts, number eight on the Hot 100 before year's end. In 2004, Rolling Stone magazine ranked Barry's version number 128 on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. And the song is also included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's list of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Um, everyone has covered this song. Everybody. Um, the, the Beatles have a, yeah, have the a Beatles, version that's pretty yeah, popular. Beatles, uh, very popular version. The Beach Boys yep. have a very... In fact, the Beach Boys then... Is this one they also stole? They stole Surfing USA when they wrote... Um, or it stole... Um, yeah. Uh, Sweet Little Sixteen. Sweet Little Sixteen. When they wrote uh, Surfing surf, yeah, USA. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they do. I know the Beach Boys cover rock and roll music as well. Everybody covers rock and roll music. But it is... I, that's it. I and mean, there's, there's, there are no great stories to tell concerning the song, but you can't have a rock and roll mixtape and not include rock and roll music by Chuck Berry. 
Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music Any old way you choose it It's got a backbeat, you can't lose it Any old time you use it It's gotta be rock and roll music If you wanna dance with me If you wanna dance with me I have no kick against my Unless they try to play it too darn fast And change the beauty of the melody Until it sounds just like a symphony That's why I go for that rock and roll music Any old way you choose it It's got a backbeat, you can't lose it Any old time you use it It's gotta be rock and roll music If you wanna dance with me If you wanna dance with me No artist uh, probably ever made a living writing so many songs about rock and roll. Yeah, oh yeah, and that, and, and Chuck Berry. at least two-thirds of his right. songs actually have rock or rock and roll in yep. the title itself, so there you go. All right, well, I have my last song and my alternates, which I'll, I'll briefly run through. One of the alternates you used um, with Still Rock and Roll to me, um, but this one, uh, not, not too often do you hear a song with the lyrics, Whamma-Lamma, Bama-Lamma in them. <laughs> um, this is a classic song by ELO, of course, Electric Light Orchestra. Rock and roll is king. Yes, sir. Um, after spending several years exploring the disco side of rock, and I forgive ELO for doing that because when the Stones did it or Elton John did it or Rod Stewart, it was just kind of kitschy. Um, ELO, and of course, at the time, they, they were kind of a punchline for a lot of it. But if you go back, there's some really, really solid stuff there that Jeff Lynne was doing. Oh, there is, yeah. You know, with, with, the, with the disco style, the disco rock fusion. But after exploring that, they, they kind of, near the end of their career, in 83, they returned to their roots of rock and roll with this particular LP, which was uh, Secret Messages. Uh, this song peaked at number 19 on Billboard, and it uh, was, I think, maybe one of, if not the last, or one of the last singles to chart in the U.S. simple song paying homage to the genre of music that's dominated pop culture for the last six decades yep oh, very good um, do you want to run through your alternates I'll run through my I alternates yeah. get my last song here so you did mention Huey Lewis in the news that's my first alternate the heart of rock and roll okay uh, off of sports in 84 uh, this top five hit was inspired by Cleveland. Yes, it was. Which are re- I really kind of wanted to put it on for that. I, I, there are a lot of other Hugh Lewis and the new songs I like better, um, but I, I love the Cleveland connection to this. Um, Huey had known Cleveland had a reputation. In fact, I thought I, I assumed we would have one match, so I thought I was going to end up using it. Um, they knew he knew Cleveland had a reputation being a great rock scene. Uh, clearly not 
by the time of the face-to-face tour, but right. prior to this. Uh, and, and he was convinced that no city could have a better scene than his home of San Francisco. However, after playing his first show in Cleveland, he had to admit that he was wrong. Uh, initially, the phrase, the heart of rock and roll, um, is in Cleveland, but Lewis did expand it to make the statement that rock and roll exists in other cities other than New York and L.A. Um, we talked about uh, still rock and roll to me. Rockin' on the Highway, Doobie Brothers, another kind of classic. Um, I'm not even sure this was a single, but it's all over classic rock oh, radio yeah. yep. from 72. Again, a song, very simplistic. Just roll down the window and rock out down the highway. Another alternate was Rock and Roll Girls by John Fulkerty. I thought of that one. That was on my short list for a long time. Often misinterpreted as being about groupies. It was really about uh, after he'd written, after he had overheard a conversation uh, from his teenage daughter and her friends talking, and he realized that there was kind of a you know, secret world now between him as an adult and, and then when he, he was a, a teenager. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, they liked rock and roll, and so he wrote a song kind of uh, around that. Uh, here's another one, Cleveland Rocks. That's my next song. Is that your next That's one? Next I'll let song. you talk about then. Yep. Uh, and then my last one, which I thought you might have, uh, Rock and Roll is Here to Stay from Danny and the Juniors. I thought about it for a long time, but I I decided I'd go Elvis, Chuck Berry, and Bill Haley instead. I, I just, because, you know, again, like you had already mentioned, a lot of people felt rock and roll was a fad, and they were addressing that. It's basically the exact same song as their other hit, At the Hop. Yeah, it's the same They just song. changed the lyrics. <laughs> it's the exact same song. Rock and roll is, is here to stay, but... Um, yeah, that's uh, those are my alternates. Okay, well, I, I'm going to cover the second alternate for you. Um, my twelfth and final song is by Ian Hunter, and it's from the album 1979 album "You're Never Alone with a Schizophrenic." Love that album title. Yeah, it is Cleveland Rocks. From 95 to 2004, American comedian Drew Carey uh, started the Drew Carey uh, show. It was a situation comedy, of course, based in Cleveland, Ohio. Instead of uh, an original theme song, Carey used Cleveland Rocks for the... It was, it was actually the third of three uh, themes that he used as an anthem to the city, which was written in the 70s by an Englishman. Uh, Ian Hunter is British, not from Cleveland. Uh, in a June 2007 interview on the Late Late Show, host Craig Ferguson asked that Englishman, Ian Hunter, if he'd ever lived in Cleveland. And Hunter didn't answer the question directly, kind of deflected. But it's common knowledge that after splitting with Mott the Hoople, he moved to New York. And uh, he based his second solo album around that move. But alluding to his touring with Mott, Hunter said, uh, a lot like Huey, 
that you, you mm-hmm. just discussed. Very similar. Uh, yeah. They didn't really like us on the coast much. This is coming from uh, Ian Hunter. By us, he meant not just Mott the Hoople, but the whole glam rock scene, referring in particular to David Bowie and Roxy Music. He said, but when we went to Cleveland, that was the first time we sold a club out. He added that Cleveland was kind of like the Poland of America. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he and the rest of the glam rock crowd thought that they were not only cool, they thought that Cleveland was the coolest venue, right. coolest destination. Yeah. Uh, Hunter's original version runs to three minutes, 48 seconds, and it appears on the album uh, You're Never Alone with, with the Schizophrenic, which I already named. It was produced by him and Mark uh, Mick, rather, Mick Ronson. The album was released on Chrysalis on March 27, 1979. What Hunter didn't mention on the Late Late Show is that the song was released originally with slightly different words as England Rocks. Mm -hmm. Hunter had gone on record stating that he originally wrote Cleveland Rocks for Cleveland, but later changed it to England Rocks because he thought it should be a single somewhere, and Columbia refused to release it as a single in the U.S. because Cleveland was too regional. Cleveland Rocks, though, is Cleveland's song, and uh, that's just the truth. Um, Hunter has never made any secret of looking back to what he sees as the golden age of rock and roll, and Cleveland is credited by many uh, as the birthplace of rock and roll. Uh, disc jockey Alan Free talked about him a little bit before. Uh, he was born in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, less than uh, 200 miles from Cleveland, but he moved to the city in 49, and in 51 he began playing rhythm and blues records on WJW Radio as uh, the Moondog uh, the Moondog House Party was the name of his show. Freed became known as the father of rock and roll because although he did not invent the phrase, again, that can be credited to blues music, but he was the first person to use it on public radio as uh, in reference to the new genre of music that was being created. Uh, it's how he got the Hall of Fame, for those that may not know. Hunter's original recording of Cleveland Rocks begins with a sample of Freed introducing his show. And in April 83, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation was founded in New York City. In 95, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum opened its doors in downtown Cleveland. After his death, Alan Freed was cremated and his ashes were in, uh, interred at the Ferncliff Cemetery in Hartsdale, New York. But in March 2002, his ashes were moved to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So unsurprisingly, Cleveland Rocks is not only uh, extremely popular in Cleveland, um, but uh, on June 19, 1979, Ian Hunter was given the key to the city by the mayor. So I believe it was Dennis Kucinich at the time. It was, yes. Yeah, and not only that, Cleveland, uh, WMM, WMMS, of course, part of the reason why... Now, you have almost two separate stories here, right? You have the right. Alan Freed in the early, the, the, the mid to late 50s and rock and roll. But then in the late 70s, early 80s, um, especially the late 70s, Cleveland was extremely influential, not only with some of the bands that come out of Akron, uh, in Cleveland, but just the, the scene itself. And right. WMMS and Kid Leo was a large part of that. Um, back when DJs could actually choose songs, right, mm-hmm. and they could play what they felt was was important. It's the reason why Captain Jack was a hit, because um, WMMR in Philadelphia played Captain right. Jack. And Kid Leo um, was now famous for, for choosing one particular song from a young uh, artist by the name of Bruce Springsteen yes, and playing Born to Run during Drive Time. Uh, he, he kicked off Drive Time in, the, in 1979 and I think probably for the rest of his career after that uh, at 5 o'clock on Friday with Cleveland Rocks. Mm-hmm. And so people would, uh, you know, 
come out of the, the office buildings and, and get into their cars and get ready for the weekend with the song. Um, Ian Hunter actually was invited uh, back to Cleveland and he played the song live before the uh, NBA championship finals in 2007. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He, which yeah. was the very first NBA championship final game to be played in Ohio. And last bit of little trivia, do you know who covered it for the Drew Carey Show? Presidents of the United States That's of America. Correct. Yes. And the, their version is actually, I very, I very much enjoy their version. Right. But no, you got to go with the original. Ian Hunter's is the classic. And yeah, MMS, I mean, it's, the whole thing is just a staple. It is Cleveland song. And like I said, I, I, I said last week that I had recently, uh, finally after years, gotten a membership to the Rock Hall and was recently there. And as I was walking through, I, I just... You know, Cleveland is, it is, it's the home of rock and roll. It's one of the few things that, uh, you know, Clevelanders take in stride. And I just, I love the song anyway, but I could not, not include Cleveland Rocks as one of my 12. So. All right. Well, we need to um, go through and organize side B. Yes, we do. We will be right back. All right. We're back and we have another list to read for you and uh you know what i think this one was one of the easier yeah that lists. well it wasn't as i don't want to say it wasn't versatile or eclectic but it there were just a lot of very similar sounds so it, yeah it came came together very easy it was nice though because you had the basically three basic blocks you had your like early 80s kind of pop block you had your like classic rock blocks and then you had your either owed to early rock and roll or actual early rock and roll. Right. And they all kind of had a nice little flow. Yeah. Now, I, this entire I, side A and B together structurally, this was one of the easiest mixtapes we yeah, put together. Yeah, I think it would be a fun one to listen to. Yeah. Coming out of uh, Rock Me Amadeus, we went into Rock of Ages, keep it in the 80s there as we go to the second side. Uh, after Def Leppard, we have I Want to Rock, for Twisted Sister. Again, keep it in the 80s. Uh, but then we divert back a little earlier to Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. Keeping the blues alive after that is The House is Rockin' by Steve Ray Vaughan. And then to another blues man, Eric Clapton, I Got a Rock and Roll Heart. Going into another classic rock staple with the Rock and Roll Fantasy. And then into a celebration of rock and roll by John Cougar Mellencamp, R-O-C-K in the USA. To ELO, rock and roll is king. And then rock and roll music by the... Is he? He should have some title. He's not the king of rock because that's Elvis. He should be the something of rock. Yeah, Chuck I'm, Berry. You know, he might have an accolade. I, I'm not sure what. Yeah, uh, he deserves one. Yeah. And then uh, we're gonna rock around the clock by Bill Haley and his comments. And then uh, coming after that with a nice little radio um, uh, interlude, I should say. Uh, Do you remember rock and roll radio by the Ramones? And then another little radio interlude before going into Cleveland Rocks by Ian Hunter. Yeah, and that is. This is going to be a fun one to listen yes, to. It yes. really, really is. Um, and and we've covered it all. And there, there are a few uh, few songs that did not make the cut. I mean, I... The Heart yeah. of Rock and Roll is the most criminal. Yeah, I mean, Huey... I, <laughs> it should have, we we're we're probably going to hell because we didn't include <laughs> Huey Lewis. But I, I just... I, it was one that I just thought you would have, and if you didn't, I... And I had it first on my alternate yeah. list because it was going to be my first alternate. I yeah, think, so... It's all good. Yeah. Huey has made a presence before, and he will certainly be on future episodes again. And that just means we can use that song if should we want to at a later time. It's just not one of my favorite songs by him. Yeah, it's not. You my, know, my, I mean, my, yeah. it's. Believe it or not, guess what my favorite song from sports is. If this is it, yeah, that's my yeah. favorite song. Yeah, yeah that, it's 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 either between that and Heart and Soul for me, and that's kind of an older, uh, early yeah. rock and roll vibe to it. Well, so much of Huey's. Yeah. Uh, catalog is that's why I, I, I love the guy 
no, this one was fun. Um, and, and you know, this, this season, uh, we hope you'll, you'll stay with us. We have a lot of very cool ideas coming up next week. Uh, on the side A of our next mixtape, we're going to take you to the dance floor. Uh, they are not dance songs necessarily, but they are all songs about dancing. Yes. Uh, so and all mine have dance in the title. How about you? Mine as well. Dance, dance, dance dances, dancing, dancer. Yeah. Oh, dancer. That at least two songs I can think of a dancer. Yeah. Well, one of them. Both I consider, but didn't put on my list. Well, one I probably have. So um, <laughs> it's when I slow things down a little bit. Ah. Uh, but well, both, both of those are slow. Oh, I, I think I might have the other one. Uh, wasn't thinking Tina. Once about a stripper. Yeah, yeah. Was not. Uh, yeah, Tina did not make my list. At least not yet. I'm not. I have not actually. Uh, I don't actually have my twelve yet for that, but I'm working on it. Um, but no, next next week, please tune in. We will bring you songs about dancing. They will all have dance in the title or some root uh, of the word. Um, but no, it's it's going to be a fun season. I, I, I feel good about it. It feels great to be back. So, um, if you have some ideas out there that you would like us to consider for an upcoming show topic, please let us know through social media. Absolutely. You can email us or uh, Facebook uh, message us, which some people have done. Uh, what is our email? Our email address is genxmixtape at gmail.com. And, um, you know, I, I think that's no, well, I should say that's no longer the trendy way to communicate. But for our audience, it probably still very much right, is. Right, yeah. So, um, you know, I... The Google Sites, it's efficient. It works. We have no, no need to change it. Part of me is, has these dreams of grandeur of having like our own domain and, and the like. And I'm we like, can if a sponsor out there would like to sponsor true, our own domain. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I don't want to spend the money for it. That's the only thing that's holding us back yeah. is to uh, so, put down a few bucks for it. But. Maybe someday. I mean, Facebook's doing its job. So, um, But yes, if you are new to the show, uh, the show, I always call it a show like we're on the radio. If you're new to the podcast, is a podcast a show? It is a show. Is it a show? It's, okay. It's, well, broadcast might be a misnomer because we're not currently broadcasting through correct. the airwaves. Correct. But if you're listening to this, we did get to you through the internet, just a different way. Yeah. Okay. I, it's just the old DJ habits coming back. But if you are new to the podcast, um, yeah, we hope you, you like what you hear. Please go back, listen to our extended catalog from season one. Uh, but stay with us. It's going to be a fun, fun summer, uh, fun season two through Halloween time. So... Um, that's, that's all I got. All right. Well, hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. Mm-hmm.